coronation day. It's a day in which a celebration ensues where a newly installed royal takes the throne and begins their leadership. Well, 2,000 years ago, the greatest of all coronations took place in water. The servant king went out to the river and launched his public ministry by going underwater and rising again. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Last week, we began our new sermon series through the gospel of Mark called On the Move. Throughout this gospel, we see Jesus on the move all throughout Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. It's a fast-paced book in which he is pointing people to himself. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one that people are looking for. And if by chance you missed last week, you can go to our website, gowestwood.org and listen to previous messages or download it onto your app. And as you're driving and fighting I-65 traffic, you can get caught up on any messages that you may have missed. We saw last week in chapter one, verse one, where Mark gives us his thesis. He tells us the purpose for why he's writing this book. And he says, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Everything is about Jesus. He's driving home Christ and who he is and what he came to accomplish. He then introduces us to John the Baptist, a man whose ministry began out in the Judean wilderness in which he is proclaiming, repent, turn away from your sin and prepare yourself because there is a future Messiah, the anointed one who is coming. And then in verse nine, it's as if Mark is making the connection for us. In essence, Mark is saying, here he is. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Then Mark describes an event that's so significant, it's so paramount that all four gospel writers address it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all are, have a component of their gospel that addresses this event. And it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gets into a river. Now, just so you can have a visual of what we're about to read, on the screen are pictures that I took of the Jordan River when Christy and I were there back in April. You see, the Jordan River is the most important water source in Israel. It runs the full length of the country, north to south, and it runs along the eastern border. Some of the water comes directly from the Mount Hermon in the north. And so as the snow melts, it comes down the mountain and comes into the Jordan River. The Jordan then flows into the Sea of Galilee, which then runs right back into a river going directly south into the Dead Sea. It's about 150 miles long. And it's here at the Jordan River that Jesus goes out to John. And notice with me in the text what the scripture says, beginning with verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son and with you, I am well pleased. Now, this is a seminal event that launches Jesus's public ministry. But I want you to notice in the text this morning why this moment was so significant. First, I want you to see that Jesus identified with John's message. 
Jesus identified with John's message. Verse nine, it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. Jesus's hometown of Nazareth. This is a small middle of nowhere town up north. And in John chapter one, when Philip told his buddy Nathaniel that he had found the one that Moses and the prophets had written about, that it's Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel replied, can anything good come from Nazareth? This is a town that's in the middle of nowhere, does not have great favor in the eyes of the people. And so in verse nine, Jesus leaves his hometown of Nazareth and he travels 70 miles south to where John is baptizing. But when Jesus shows up to be baptized by John, John is confused. He's perplexed why Jesus is asking him to baptize him. John's thinking this should be the other way around. Matthew tells us about this in Matthew chapter three. It says, but John tried to stop Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so persuaded by his argument, John agrees then to baptize Jesus. What is Jesus doing here? Why is he going out to his cousin, John, and being baptized. It's not because he needs to repent. It's not because he has sinned. We see throughout the scriptures that Jesus is sinless. In Hebrews 4, 15, it says that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that Jesus knew no sin. You see, Jesus never committed sin in his heart, with his actions, or with his words. Jesus never lusted, he never lied, and he never lashed out in anger. He was perfect in all of his ways. Jesus was the sinless, blameless, perfect sacrifice who gave his life for us at the cross. You see, Jesus, the sinless Savior, offers perfect and permanent forgiveness to all who trust in him. Jesus, the one who never needed forgiveness, offers perfect and permanent forgiveness to broken sinners like us. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Jesus was not only affirming with John that the Messiah is coming, but Jesus was declaring through his baptism, you're looking at him. I am the promised Messiah. I am the son of God that you are looking for. So Jesus is declaring through his baptism, he is the promised Messiah that John has been pointing to. He is the fulfillment of John's preaching. Jesus is the one who's more powerful than John. Jesus is the one who's more worthy to, than John. Jesus is the one who will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus identified with John's message. I want you to see number two that Jesus illustrated the gospel. He illustrated the gospel. Look at verse 10. It says, as soon as he, watch this, came up out of the water. Jesus was down under the water. In verse 10, he came up out of the water. 
You see, verse 10 helps answer the question of why we do not baptize with sprinkling or with pouring. I put this in your notes of why we baptize by immersion. There are many more reasons, but I gave you three quick reasons. The first is this, it's the word. The word, the Greek word is baptizo. It means to immerse, to submerge, to dip under. It's used 80 times in the New Testament. You know, we live in a very divided nation right now. And there's lots of different opinions and perspectives of how to eat an Oreo cookie. When Christy and I put the kids to bed, sometimes we'll make ourselves a glass of milk with several Oreos. Y'all, we live a wild life, guys. <laughs> what I like to do, I take the first one and I just drop it in there. It kind of just, yeah, here we go. It's just, <laughs> it just simmers on top, but then just slowly works its way down to the bottom. I'll then take the next three and just eat them straight dry. I'll just throw them in there. I'm just, I'm just working it, just enjoying it, right? And then once my mouth is nice and dry, I'll take that cup of milk and I will just drink that thing. And then that first cookie that I dropped in there is stuck at the top. And I look at it until at just the right moment, it falls down on top of my face. It's awesome, right? <laughs> well, you see that first cookie by definition is baptizo. It is under the liquid, it's under the milk. This is what the word means. It means you go completely under. So this is why baptism by sprinkling or baptism by immersion is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction because baptism means it goes under. We see this in Acts 8, when both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. But the second reason is the custom. It's the custom, the Jewish mikvah. Now, I didn't know about this until Christy and I had the opportunity to be back there, be over there uh, back in the month of April. In Jewish culture, Orthodox Jews make regular trips to a mikvah. A mikvah is a pool or a bathtub full of water in which someone will dip themselves, they will immerse themselves in water. So if someone is ceremonially unclean or if they wanna mark a significant moment in their life or if someone wants to convert to Judaism, they go to the mikvah and they go underwater to mark that significant occasion. A woman, for example, after she gives birth or after her monthly cycle, she is to go to the mikvah and to wash herself there. You see, it's at the mikvah that the Jew is to take off all of their clothes. They're to be completely naked so that there's nothing that comes between them and the water. They go under the water to be submerged. Now, even today, there are attendants who will watch to ensure that that person is completely submerged underwater. Archaeologists have discovered mikvahs in old ruins of ancient cities all across Israel. Even today, all throughout the world, Orthodox Jews will visit a community mikvah to wash themselves and to become clean. And so for John the Baptist to call Jews to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, going down into the Jordan River and being submerged, this was not a crazy idea because baptism has Jewish roots in the custom of the mikvah. But I want you to see thirdly, 
It pictures the gospel. It's the picture. It points to the gospel. In verse 10, we see Jesus coming up out of the water. He was picturing the gospel. He was pointing to his upcoming death, burial, and resurrection. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me until it is finished. You see, the ultimate baptism that Jesus came for was not being submerged underwater, but suffering under God's wrath at the cross. The cross and all that it would accomplish consumed him so that he was so focused on that he's primarily focused on getting this task accomplished that it was all about finishing the cross. That's what he came to do. His mind was focused on it. And he had a baptism of suffering and death that he had to endure so that you and I might be rescued. Jesus was focused on going to the cross That was the ultimate baptism that he was there to endure. But you see, baptism for us, it's not a ritual. It's not a rite of passage. Baptism is a drama in water. It is a declaration that you were dead. You were buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life, Romans 6. And so when someone comes into the water and they go down, they're declaring, I am dead to sin. I have been buried with Christ. I have believed the gospel and I am now hidden in him. But now in Christ, he has called me forth and there is a resurrection. It's a picture of a new life that we have in Christ. That's what Paul's driving home in Romans 6, that we have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. So when you are laid down into the water, you're picturing I was dead, but Christ has made me alive. This is the work of God in the gospel and this baptism is picturing what Jesus has done for you through his death and resurrection. You see, it's not the waters of baptism that regenerate the heart. Water does not save you. Jesus saves you. He is the one who transforms the heart. And what baptism does is it, it's through the preaching of the gospel, you're saying, look what Jesus has done in me. I'm identifying with Christ and my life is now his and I am following him. You see, when you're laid down into the water, you can't breathe. And you are dependent upon another to bring you up. So it is in the gospel. Spiritually, you and I, we were dead. We were lifeless. Spiritually, we could not breathe. And we are dependent upon another to raise us up. And that is what God has done for us in the gospel. Jesus who goes and dies the death that we deserved and he has buried the burial that we deserved and then he gives us his resurrection that we do not deserve. He promises eternal life and says, now you are hidden in me. You see, baptism says I identify with Jesus because he identified with me. 
And not just through his baptism, but through the cross and through the empty tomb. And so when someone is sloshed underwater, they're telling the world, I am a sinner who deserves death and hell, but I believe that Jesus took my death at the cross. He took my hell at the cross. So now I'm hidden in Jesus so that his death is now my death. His burial is my burial in his his resurrection is my resurrection. That's the promise of the gospel. And baptism pictures the gospel. It's driving us to Jesus and what he came to accomplish through his death and through his resurrection. I want you to see thirdly here in the text that Jesus received first the Spirit's affirmation. The Spirit's affirmation. Look at verse 10. It says, as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. That phrase being torn open. It's the same phrase that we see what happens to the veil in the temple at the death of Jesus, that it was torn open from top to bottom at the moment of Jesus's death. You see, there was a longing in the hearts of the people of God in the Old Testament for God to come down and to meet with them. In Isaiah 64, verse one, it says, if only you would tear the heavens open and come down. Well, in Jesus Christ, God does exactly that. As Jesus is coming up out of the water, the heavens are torn open and the spirit of God comes down and rests upon Jesus like a dove. Water and a dove. Water and a dove. Where have we heard that before? Genesis chapter eight. When Noah is testing to see if the waters of judgment have subsided, he sends out a dove. And where we see Noah sending the dove out of the ark of the Old Testament, we see the spirit of God landing on Jesus like a dove in the New Testament. Just as the ark saved Noah and his family from God's judgment, Jesus Christ, the ark of God, saves his people from God's judgment. Just as Noah and his family were saved from drowning by going into the ark by faith, you and I are saved by faith in Jesus's drowning in God's judgment for us at the cross. You see, Jesus's perfect obedience in water, it pictures the baptism of suffering that he would endure at the cross. Now, ultimately, it was not Jesus's judgment. It was ours. He was not baptized for his sin, but as a picture of the cleansing work he would accomplish for ours. This is the love of God that Jesus identifies with you and he identifies with your sin and all the ways that every day we fail him. He's saying, I wanna show you how much I love you and I am gonna go not only through the waters of baptism, but I'm gonna go through the baptism of suffering through the cross. And what we see here is we see the spirit affirming the person and work of Jesus by descending on him like a dove. But then we also see 
Secondly, the father's commendation. The father's commendation. Verse 11, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. What we see here in verses 10 and 11 is the triune God working together as one. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are all working in harmony and in unity and they are pointing to the work of the Son. The Spirit affirms the Son and we see the Father commendating the Son. When I was a teenager, I played lots of sports And whenever I did something pretty good, my dad would yell from the stands as loud as he could, that's my boy. Have you ever been embarrassed before? I mean, we're talking like I was mortified. But you know, deep down inside, I kind of liked it. Because what he was doing is he was publicly declaring that I belonged to him. And I'm his, and he's in my corner, and he loves me. Well, what we see in verse 11 is God the Father declaring boldly, that's my boy, that's my son, and with him I am well pleased. I love my son. What we see here is affirmation. The father commendating verbally the work of his son. We'll see this take place again in a few chapters later when actually years after this happened, Jesus goes up on a mountain and he is transfigured. He takes on a glorified body temporarily and he shines with the brightness of the the Shekinah glory of God with Peter, James, and John watching. And all of a sudden the father speaks and he says this, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. We see the Father and we see the Spirit who are affirming the person and work of Jesus and what he has come to accomplish. This is Jesus's coronation day. So what's this mean for us, y'all? For us as a faith family, Westwood, what can we take away from this text? Let me give you two takeaways. The first is this, let's keep preaching the gospel. Let's keep preaching the gospel. You have coworkers and neighbors and friends and people who you do life with every day who need Jesus. And God has strategically and intentionally put you in their life to share the gospel, to point them to Christ. You see, it's through the preaching of the gospel that people hear about Jesus and they're saved. You see, you can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. Man, is that liberating. The pressure is off of us. Our job is to be faithful to prayerfully and actively and humbly and lovingly to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus and what he came to do. And here's what happens. The Holy Spirit takes the gospel. He takes the words that we say. He implants it like seeds into someone's heart and it bears fruit. God changes their heart. They come to faith in Christ. Well, once they put their faith in Jesus, their next step of obedience is baptism. They get into the water and they declare publicly, I belong to Jesus. I wanna tell the world I belong to Christ. 
this is the priority of the church. This is what God has called all of us to do together is that we share the gospel with the people whom God has placed in our life. The heartbreaking reality is across the landscape of America as there's far too many churches who have taken their eyes off of the task that Jesus left for us in Matthew 28. You see, dry baptistries are warning signs that churches have lost their focus on the Great Commission. When we see a dry baptistry, it means that the gospel is not being preached to those who have yet to have believed. Because the next step of obedience is getting into the water and publicly declaring, this is who Christ is. This is what he's done in my heart and my life. A couple months ago, we had several members in our church who went down to Montgomery to help renovate a church building. Every year, the third week of June, they go and they build church buildings or they'll help renovate spaces. Well, they went to this building down there and one day, uh, Rick Swing, the executive pastor here at Westwood, he and I drove down to Montgomery to see the work that they were doing. And it was just really cool to see the new church plant, the potential of what's gonna take place. This is a church that had gone from its heyday up into the 900s and now it's down to 11. Very little gospel momentum about to close their doors. And then a church planter, God raised up and is gonna go into this church and he's gonna breathe new life into this church through new believers. And God's doing incredible work. While we were down there, I kind of found myself getting in people's way. So I thought, I'm gonna let you guys do the work. And, and I was walk around. So I toured the building and I came to the baptistry and this is what I saw. Bone dry, rust, no longer works. In fact, the window to look into the baptistry has been boarded up. This is a church that has lost its focus on the Great Commission. And a dry baptistry is a public declaration that they have stopped preaching Jesus to those who don't know him yet. And Westwood, if we stop preaching the gospel, if you and I are not sharing Jesus with our neighbors and the nations, then this is gonna be our future. A dry baptistry is a public declaration that we have stopped sharing the gospel. And may I say to you, this cannot be us. Let us be a faith family that is passionate for evangelism. We wanna see our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our teammates come to faith in Christ. Let's be actively sharing the gospel. And when you and I get to lead people to faith in Jesus, we get to get in that baptistry and we get to see them publicly declare to the world that they are now hidden in Christ. Not only are we to keep sharing the gospel, but secondly, let's celebrate when people get baptized. When someone gets in the water, it is not time to yawn. A small golf clap is not the response when a resurrection has taken place. When someone tells me I have a boring testimony, I respond, there's no such thing as a boring resurrection. 
You were dead and now you are alive. And when someone is buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, that deserves celebration. That deserves people of God getting excited because what happens in that water is a public testimony that Christ is alive, he's on the move, and he's working in this person's heart and life. So if there's anything we are to get excited about more than a teenager scoring a touchdown, it's the people of God celebrating that Jesus is risen and he's on the move in this person's life. Let's be a people who is celebrate. We get excited when someone gets dunked in the water because they're declaring, I follow Christ. Jesus is everything to me and I want the world to know I am now hidden in him. This is what we do as a faith family. We get excited about things that are worth getting excited about. And so when we see someone go in that water, you have freedom to stand and dance and shout and sing and clap because what once was dead is now alive. We have seen a spiritual resurrection take place and we celebrate as a people of God because transformation has taken place. So for us, impact point, it's this. Unashamedly, Let's declare your allegiance to Jesus by baptism. This is when you and I declare publicly, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you were baptized as a baby, but you have come to faith in Jesus. Then your next step is baptism. It's when you get into the water and say, I'm not ashamed. I'm gonna publicly declare, I follow Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you, you were kind of like me. I, I was baptized as a child, not because I knew Jesus, but because I was kind of pressured to do so by some other people. Well, later on in life, I came to faith in Christ. The step after faith is baptism. Baptism always follows faith in the New Testament. So maybe you've come to faith in Jesus and you've not been baptized yet. Well, that is your next step of obedience in which you're gonna publicly declare, hey, I'm following Christ. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. I'm following Jesus. It's a step of obedience saying, listen, I belong to Christ and I want the world to know that I now belong to him. And do you know what happens? When someone is baptized, there is a declaration that a transformation has taken place. Jesus has changed this person's heart and life. So maybe for you, you're sitting and thinking, you know, I need to take that next step. You can pull out your connect card and just put the information on there saying, I'd like to get baptized and I'm, I'm interested in taking that next step. Make sure you print neatly so we can make sure we follow up with you. But we wanna help you take those next steps. Maybe um, you'd be interested in September the 22nd. We're gonna have baptism at the creek. We're all gonna head down to Orr Park in Montevallo and it's a time for us to get together. We'll fellowship together. We'll throw balls and we'll laugh and talk and tell stories. But there comes a point in which we're gonna get down into the water and people are gonna publicly declare their faith in Christ by being baptized in the creek. It's a cool opportunity in which you're just declaring, hey, listen, I follow Christ and I belong to Jesus. You see, when you put your faith in Christ and you follow him in baptism, there is a voice and this voice is declaring, this is my son, this is my daughter. 
that's my boy. That's my girl. She belongs to me. And with her, I am well pleased. And he is declaring through that voice, they're mine. And challenging anyone to take that on. God declares to the enemy, the prince of the power of the air and the darkness of this world, this is my boy. When you put your faith in Jesus and you obey him through baptism in water, you're declaring, I follow Jesus and God is declaring, you belong to me, both now and forever. Mm -hmm.